This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to the Wealth Ability show for CPAs, where we're always discovering how to build better clients, a better practice, and a better life. This is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of the Wealth Ability Network. So, CPAs, really good with numbers, really bad with language. Um, I, I saw, you know, our, when you think about our best assets, I mean, if you look at our tagline, our tagline is better clients, right? Better clients produce a better practice, produce a better life. We're really good, I think, as a general rule in serving our clients. We, we care about our clients. We take care of our clients. We're really bad at increasing our clients or getting better clients other than through referrals, right? Other than three referrals, we're, we're really bad at it. So when somebody, let's say somebody even gives us a referral, how do we actually get them? How do we, how do we close that, right? We have to sell. If we're going to be in business, we have to sell. So I, I sometimes think that, think that CPA stands for cannot produce assets, right? So we, we can produce numbers all day long, but producing assets, which uh, our clients are our assets, they're our primary assets, it's really hard for us to do. So today I'm very excited to have David Hoffeld, who's an expert in this area. He's going to go through some really basics when it comes to communicating. Um, and this will work with anybody, but it particularly works with prospects. Um, because what we're trying to do when we're talking to a prospect is we're helping educate them into why we would be better to serve them who, than whoever is serving them now. And that's, uh, it's very important to be able to get into their mindset. And uh, we're going to talk about a, a concept called framing. Some of you have heard of it, some of you have not. Uh, but David, it is uh, my great pleasure to welcome you to the WealthAbility Show for CPAs. Well, thank you so much, Tom. It's great to be with you. So if you could, David, just give us a little bit about your background, how you got into this and, and what it is you do with it. Sure. Well, after I graduated with my master's degree, I kind of fell into the profession of selling kind of by accident, I thought would be a short term job. And I fell in love with the profession. And what I started doing was just applying what I had learned, uh, some of behavioral science I had looked at when I was getting my master's degree to the act of selling. And the more I did that, the more I got addicted to it, because I realized that whether it's uh, social psychology or cognitive psychology or behavioral economics or social neuroscience, there's so much science that helps unpack what's going on when we try to influence someone. 
And so I began applying that and researching it and became successful. And then I launched my own firm back in 2009. And I've written two books on the topic of using real, verifiable, scientific research from a number of disciplines on the act of selling. So that's kind of my passion because I've, I've just seen how armed with the scientific data, we can really now improve anyone's ability to sell. So, so I love your enthusiasm for selling. I, I, have, I feel the same way. I feel the same way about selling. I actually feel like if you have something to offer and you don't learn how to sell, you are denying the world what you have to offer. And a lot of CPAs, especially uh, David, are very shy about selling. Um, they certainly don't want to push on, on anything on anybody and we don't want them to. Yes. Right. Uh, uh, push selling is a horrible way to sell. Yes. It's It's been proven over and over again that it doesn't work. Uh, it works in limited situations for limited amounts of time on limited types of products. But as a general rule, it's a terrible way to sell. Mm -hmm. um, what, what we always talk about is pull selling where we're pulling people in and pulling people in is where framing comes from. So but let's start with this. How do you get over the idea that sales is bad, that, you know, that you're a, you know, salespeople are slimy and salespeople, you know, there's all this fear and it's almost like you feel like, well, gee, if I sell, then I'm, I'm one of them. And I'm, I, I can't really be a CPA. I can't be a professional if I sell. Yeah. It's an important question. And it's something I delve into in my new book, uh, Sell More with Science. We have a whole chapter from a science-backed perspective on the ethics of selling and dealing with this question. The way I uh, would encourage people to look at it would be to think of selling or sharing what you do and the value you provide as influence. And influence is simply guiding what people to take what you say seriously and then be willing to act on it. And so the question is, how do you effectively present what you do? Because the reality is the research is conclusive on this and all of us have experienced this as well. Oftentimes you or I as consumers and our clients and potential clients are the same. We reject something, not because of that something, but because of the way it is presented. And that's what framing deals with. It deals with how do we present information in the most honest, authentic way so that people accurately perceive the value that you offer? Because I think all of our listeners can relate to times when they had a potential client who they could really help and they had the exact solution that client needs, but the client doesn't see what we see. They don't see how we can truly make a difference. So framing deals with real practically, how can we get over that? How do we present ourselves and our services in a way that helps people see them for what they truly are and the real value that they will provide to them? Okay. So, so let's get to this word framing because you've used it several times and I've used it and it's, um, it's, it's very popular uh, term of art in selling. Can we get really basic, David, and what, what does it even mean to frame something. Sure. And the good news is for everyone, we're already doing framing. So framing is simply the perspective that someone is viewing what you share. So it's almost look at it as a window they're looking out of. One researcher said it uh, this way, which I think is a great way to look at it, is the frame you're looking at something through is almost like wearing rose-colored glasses. 
when you put on rose colored glasses, everything is rosy. A real simple way to also think about frames is if you're in a bad mood, let's say, I know my children, uh, I have teenagers and they know when dad's in a bad mood, not the best time to ask him for stuff. Why? I'm more likely to say no. Why? Because my frame, that bad mood is influencing my perspective and it's skewing how I view everything that they share. Whereas if I'm in a good mood, well, then they're like, okay, this would be the time to ask dad for that thing because they know that that's going to skew my frame. So one, one final thing I'll share about frames that's probably most impactful is something that a Nobel Prize winner, Daniel Kahneman, said just a few years ago. He said, frames are so powerful in shaping our perspective that he said, and I quote, that you and I are frame bound, not reality bound. In other words, the frame we're using to view something will so skew our perspective that it often hides reality from us. And when you talk about framing things, it's how do I help people who might be stuck in an unhelpful frame for them? How do I nudge them into a new, more beneficial, more useful perspective? And this, Tom, I think is one of the ways that CPAs can really serve those that they work with. It's not just the great services, that they provide, but also how they engage them to help them see the value of those services. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with framing selling. Okay. So, so a lot of people have a frame around selling is this is bad. This is, um, this is sleazy. This is slimy. That's their frame. And so selling becomes bad. Um, so let's use this as an example. How would you help somebody reframe selling? It's an important question. So there's a couple things we know about framing from the research. So for the research for this book on uh, framing and then reframing kind of helps someone into a new frame. Uh, we looked at about three and a half years. Uh, it took us to come up with the models that we use in the book. So here's what we know about framing when it comes to selling, for example. One of the things I already shared was a new way of looking at selling a few minutes ago, which is as influence. So what is selling fundamentally when it's done well, when it's done in a way that really serves people? So it's a pro-social endeavor. It's when you're, you're really trying to influence them in a positive way. And what is influence? Influence versus manipulation. Influence advances the cause of everyone involved. Manipulation is the opposite. Usually the only person who wins is the person who's doing the manipulation. Everyone else loses. Influence is also when you're honest. You're not withholding information. And manipulation is the opposite. Influence has good intention. When you're really trying to serve other people, in other words, you're focusing far more on their needs than you are on your own. Manipulation is the exact opposite. And so one way to reframe or frame selling is to think of it as influence because I think that eliminates a lot of the old stereotypes and that mentality that none of us want to embrace. And it also guides us in engaging in the sales behaviors that will make not only us more successful, but far more importantly, will really serve our clients. So, so sometimes I think of um, that influence is just education and um, educating people is really just giving them a different frame of reference, right? If you think if, and I, I'd encourage everybody to think frame of reference, you know, when you think of framing, because everybody knows that term frame of reference, we don't all know, you know, think of it as framing from a sales standpoint. 
Um, but if you think of a frame of re reference, how does that, um, I, I use the term a lot, context. How do you see framing and context related? Is getting, it, getting somebody's context, shifting context so that they are in that right frame of reference? Yeah, and there's some very simple things we can do here. So context definitely matters. And that's why there's a number of frames that we talk about. We have a kind of model that we show that kind of helps guide people in, in doing that. So let me share one that speaks more to context. Um, one of them is the idea of contrast. One of the brain, ways our brains perceive value, and we do this instinctively, is we contrast one thing with another. So for example, if I told you, Tom, that I spent... I bought a stapler yesterday, just a regular staple, but I sent $72 on that stapler. Was that a good deal or a bad deal? Yeah, I have no idea because I don't know what uh, a stapler should be sh should be for oh, you, okay. right? Well, so I, I don't have your context of a stapler. I mean, normally you think, wow, that's a really expensive stapler. It's a really expensive stapler, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it seems overpriced compared to what most staplers would cost. And the neat thing is that our brains can come to the realization that, boy, that's more than normal. There must be, there must be a unique stapler or, or David exactly. really needed the stapler badly in that moment. Um, so something odd was going on. But we're able to make that assessment very quickly because our brains instinctively compare it to what we paid in the past. And so oftentimes one way to frame something is to compare it with something else, because the easier the research shows it is for our brains to do that, the more likely we're gonna say yes. In fact, researchers refer to this as what they call single option aversion. That sometimes when you only mm -hmm. present, especially when you're working with a new right. client, you present one option to them. Like, okay, you do your due diligence. You say, okay, here's the right thing that you need. If this is a new decision for them and they haven't used a service like yours before, many times they'll struggle to make that decision, not because what you offer isn't exactly what they need, but because, boy, I'm trying to think of a point of comparison and it's hard for my brain to do that. And when that happens, what the data shows is our brains naturally assign a higher level of risk to the decision and we're less likely to do it. So oftentimes showing two options and they don't have to be equal, they can be one is higher, one is lower, and letting people and guiding them in choosing one of those two, that win creates more certainty, lowers the perception of risk, and it, it gives them the confidence to now say, okay, I feel more comfortable going with that one you recommended. Why? Because that point of comparison framed the decision in a way that made it easier for my brain to say yes. So I, I remember uh, the first time that I know you've uh, you mentioned um, before we started that you've seen me with Robert Kiyosaki, yes. and uh, I've learned a lot about speaking, framing, et cetera, from Robert. And he said, you know, you you have to start with stable datum. You have to start with something that they understand. Yeah. Um, and I presume that that's the same thing as saying something in their frame of reference. So how do you how, how do you find that out? How do you find out where to start? In other words, to put it into their frame of reference so that they can understand where you're coming from. Yeah, such a, such a pivotal part of influence that is often overlooked when we talk about framing is we often forget the starting point, which is understanding the perspective of those we're trying to influence. Until we do that, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to influence someone effectively because we're guessing. 
And oftentimes when we guess, we relate it to ourselves is our natural tendency. We'll say, well, what would I think about in this situation if I were them? Or how would I want to be engaged? The problem with that is obvious. You're not, right? Everyone has different beliefs, different perspectives. And that's why it's so vital that when we, before we really start to get into the influence, really get deep into it, that we begin to ask some questions and understand their perspective, that's going to do a number of things. Number one, it will equip us to customize our frames so that they resonate more. Second, it also builds a high level of trust, the research shows as well, because just like a good doctor, when you go in, he or she will ask you some questions, they'll poke and prod, and then they'll tell you what they think. If they just walked in and wrote you a prescription without asking any questions or doing any tests, you would be like, I don't think I trust this, right? So we want that. And when we ask those questions now, as people feel like, okay, wow, Tom really understands kind of my business. Now, when you share, here's what I would recommend based on this and that, and you can mirror their words back to them and mirror that perspective, people are far more receptive to being influenced by you, to adapting and embracing what you suggest and to the frames that we're talking about. So, so let me ask you this question. Let me, so, something I do and let, let me get your feedback on this. So if I'm talking to a doctor, then I want to put it in terms of what the doctor is going to relate to uh, from a health standpoint. If I'm talking to a stockbroker, I'm not talking in terms of health. I'm talking in terms of the market. If I'm talking to a um, business, uh, you know, a, a manufacturer, I'm talking in terms of, okay, this is how you manufacture something. Boy, would you like to, I mean, I might even go so far in that case, say, would you like to manufacture some tax benefits, you know, where, where we're actually using some of their terminology? Yeah. Is that part of framing? And is that part of what we're trying to do here? Yeah, spot on. Absolutely. It is. The good thing about framing is there are some frames that we have found, like I just shared one on contrast that we can use kind of as jumping off points, but there's so much flexibility. But what I really loved about what you just shared is the fact that you're customizing the way you're engaging them to their perspective, to the words that'll resonate most with them. One thing that the research says as well, to piggyback off what you shared, that really helps boost influence is when you mirror their words, when you, you literally speak their language. So if they say, this is really what matters to me, maybe in a few minutes when you want to recommend something, you would say something to the effect of, now, Tom, a few minutes ago, I know you mentioned one of your main priorities was this. So let me address that right now. And that's why I'm going to recommend this course of action. Now you're aligning your recommendation with what matters to them in a clear, concise way that they'll easily recognize. And whatever you say after that, they're more likely to be receptive too. So speaking their language, embracing their terminology, really trying to understand their mindset is mission critical when it comes to effective influence. And the last thing I'll share is what I love about that perspective as well, something that I teach every day, which is who we should focus on when we sell. We talked a while ago about some of the, the not so ethical things that salespeople have done historically. When you adopt the perspective that we just discussed, you're so focused on the person you're engaging that you don't get into any of those unethical things because those only happen when you're focused on yourself. And I want to meet my needs through this encounter. When you're hyper-focused on the other person, you're a servant then. And when you do that, everyone benefits and everyone enjoys the process. Yeah, pe people ask me all the time, how do you go on stage in front of 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 people and 
Brazil and not be scared to death. And I'm going, because it's not about me. Yeah. It's not about me. It's about, it's about those people. And so as long as it's about them, and, and this is, I think, where people get scared of sell, selling because what they're really afraid of is rejection, right? But if it's not about you, then there can't be a fair rejection because you're not going to get rejected. It's not about you in the first place. It's about right. them. And it's really more, are they going to get what they want? And are they going to get what they need? And so to me, selling is more about matching needs and seeing, okay, do you have a need that we can fulfill? If you don't, I shouldn't be selling to you, frankly. I mean, to me, that's where the ethical part comes in yeah. is that I, I really shouldn't be selling you something you don't need. That would be, that would be bad. Okay, but if I have something and I can go, okay, so let's find out if these needs match, but I have to do that in such a way that they understand that those needs actually do match. I, I can't just push it on them. I need to focus on them. Yeah. And I love that you're, you're starting with this. It's all about asking them questions about yes. them and what they need. And then you're just, all you're doing is solving a problem. That's exactly right. Yeah, you're exactly. That's a great way to think about it too. And and when you get to to what you brought up about identifying who would be my ideal client, that's a great place to start. Is to say, okay, what what when I'm at my best, what am I doing? What solution am I really uh, giving to others that serves them the best? And then deconstruct that to what are the problems that I solve. And I think even going through that process, because it's so easy for us to get focused on our solutions and not their problems. Right. And we focus on, hey, here's what I offer instead of here's where you're at. And that's why I offer this. It's just that the way we often frame our conversations, when it becomes more about us, people are less interested. When it's more about them and how we can serve them, now everyone's on the edge of their seat. And the difference if you've been sold by a salesperson who focuses on you and then says, okay, here's what I'm going to recommend based on what you shared earlier and based on this priority and based on this need, and they connect the dots for you, you're far more likely to be thanking that salesperson because they're serving you. They're actually helping you with something that matters versus someone that just does a presentation about, let me, let me share with you about our company, our firm, and here's what we offer. And you just try to listen and try to, Will this help me or not? We need someone who will connect the dots. And that's really what effective framing and influence is. You're helping people connect the dots between their problem and your solution. And when you do that, you make it easy for their brain to do that. Then they're more likely to also perceive high levels of value, which means they're more likely not only move forward with you, but be willing to pay uh, for that as well, because they see the value now. The harder it is for their brain to do that, the less likely it is that they will, and the more likely it is that they'll simply procrastinate, that they'll say, well, let me think about this, and they'll do nothing, because that is our greatest competitor, is we call it in research, the status quo bias. It's the bias we all have to do absolutely nothing, and that I know for me and everyone who's listening, that is your number one competitor, is absolutely nothing. So why shouldn't your potential client stay with what they're already doing, because to their brain, there's low risk in that. There's always a risk to change. And so understanding their problem and helping them understand the consequence of inaction and making that clear, that's another way we can serve them because if your solution is in their best interest, then bringing that to their awareness is also a way that you can serve them. So we can serve both through what we offer and how we frame it. 
Got it. Got it. Now, one of the things that um, in our profession is uh, you have people have to really trust us, right? So yes. they really have to, I mean, they're divulging everything about their life to us. <laughs> Literally, we know more than their family doctor probably knows about their life. Yeah. And so establishing that level of trust is um, critical. How does framing engage with trust? Because it seems to me like um, we, we tend to trust people who think the way we do. We tend to yeah. trust people who have a perspective that we share. Um, and we don't trust people who, you know, are completely different from us. So how, how, does, how does framing um, solve that issue, help to solve that? It does in a number of ways. So real quickly, I'll rattle off a couple, uh, one or two of them you just mentioned there. So again, like we talked about using those, that language that resonates with them. Also, we trust those who understand us. So you're asking those questions and those questions are not just for you, but they're also for your potential client. Because oftentimes when you ask, good questions, they'll say things like, boy, that's a good question. And they get value from the question. Like I hadn't thought about that in a while, or I hadn't thought about it like that before, the way you frame the question. So that brings a lot of trust as well. In addition, when it comes to framing, one of the frames that we recommend was just recently uh, touted by uh, Wharton Business School as the number one way businesses can establish trust. And that's through what we refer to as social proof. Social proof is an old principle, an old frame. It's been studied. I've seen research on it from 1908 and it's still being studied today. But what it does real simply, it connects the persuasiveness of an idea with how other people are responding to it. It's why we all are drawn to best-selling books or blockbuster movies or businesses with a lot of satisfied customers. If a lot of other people like me are using your services, well, it must be good if they're happy, right? And so I'm more likely to trust that. So we can share case studies, we can share stories of how others like our potential client in similar situations, and you can remove the names so they're generic enough, but still specific enough to that client situation where it brings them trust, or even using simple phrases that leverage social proof, like many businesses who have some of the concerns that you raised, what they'll often do is, right, that again, people are like, yeah, tell me. Like, I want to know more because if other people like me are doing it with this problem, I want to know. So that leverages social proof. And one thing you mentioned that the research shows super uh, takes social proof to a whole nother level, kind of supercharges it, is similarity. As you mentioned, we are more persuaded right. by what others like us are doing. So businesses like mine, people in a similar tax situation, what have you done with them that's been successful? And when you share that, not only does it pave the way forward to your solution, but it builds an a, a extreme amount of trust in you because you're kind of putting my mind at ease. And that's the last thing I'll share about social proof. It is a powerful frame to use when you're introducing change because it lowers the perception of risk with any decision. If other people like me are doing it, I'm going to assign far less risk than if I'm the first one or you don't share what others like me have done. Yeah, can you imagine um, you, uh, you order an Uber and the driver comes back and they have two and a half stars. You're going, yeah, I'm not getting in that car. 
Right. That's, that's social proof. Yeah. But if they have if they have five stars and like three thousand people have, yes. have given them five stars, you're going, hey, you know, I'm I'm ready that's to go. Good. Let's let yes. let's do it. No problem at all. Yes. Um, and you know that's where Yelp and Google and you know and, and Uber etc. use that social proof. And yes, I, I I agree. I mean, certainly using that social proof. Um, you, uh, I think you mentioned you uh, read my book, Tax Free Wealth, and Tax Free Wealth has over 3,000 five star reviews. Yes. Well, that's like pretty good social proof. It, right. it, it certainly helps when you get 3,000 five star reviews. So I, I love that. Something we probably don't ask enough of our clients is to give us a testimonial, give us a, uh, give us a five star Google review. You know, that's it's really easy for clients to do. It takes them like two minutes, especially if we give them the link <laughs> to, to do that. But something that uh, that's a good point that I, I appreciate that, that that helps their frame um, that they're coming into this saying, oh, wow, well, I already see that this, you know, this company has, you know, 200 five star Google reviews. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be trusting because other people trust because other people have had success, then I'm more likely to have success. Yeah, and you're exactly right. And that's that power of social proof. So uh, again, simple ways you can do it are little phrases, uh, like a lot of others in your situation. And whenever you share, they'll be receptive to, or uh, simple narratives as well. Narratives are so powerful because you can keep them concise. You don't have to get into specific names unless you have permission from your clients, of course, but you can share just generally, but it so engages people and narratives are very sticky. Research shows our retention rate is over 11 times more for a short narrative than we just share a fact. But if we can wrap that fact in a narrative and bring it to life, it is incredibly impactful. And the reason why is it leverages this powerful frame that behavioral scientists have been studying for over 100 years called social proof. So, so to me, this all goes back to what I talk about a lot, which is branding and which is who are you? You know, what kind of clients do you want and uh, what is your story? And uh, it seems to me like we kind of come full circle here, you know, because we think of branding and PR and marketing as separate from sales. But to me, I see them as all part of that yes. influence uh, because what we're doing is we're reframing. When, when somebody reads Tax-Free Wealth, what I'm doing is reframing yes. their, their view of the tax law. Yes. Right? We're just kind of giving them a context reframe. You don't have to give them much. You just have to say, okay, wait a minute. For example, I'll, I'll, one of my favorite phrases, if you want to change your tax, you have to change your facts. Okay, well, that's a, that's a reframe, right? I mean, I'm just reframing. This is not, is this deductible? This is how can I make this deductible? What do I have to change mm, yes. in order to do that? And that, that whole framing idea, I, I think this has been an enormously valuable discussion, David. Really appreciate it. Oh, um, my pleasure. Yeah, it, great to be with you. When um, somebody wants to get, uh, say, our, our listeners want to get a hold of you, they want to learn more about you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you or learn more about what you, yeah. about your work? Yeah, the best way is at my website, um, Huffeld, H-O-F-F-E-L-D group.com. And you can check out my newest book comes out March 22nd, and that is Sell More with Science. And that's available anywhere fine books are sold. Uh, awesome. Thank you very much, David. Again, David Hoffeld. Um, and uh, I would highly recommend his book and, and his work because uh, when we can get into the minds of our prospects and our clients and we can put it on their in, in their frame, 
of reference, then what we're always going to end up with are better clients and a better practice and better life. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Wealth Ability for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.